0: Hey guys, how you doing? It's uh, Luke here, and uh, shared a Facebook Live already, so we're in the uh, Hanson's Coaching Group as well. Thanks for everybody who is here right now. What do we have we have Michael, Marty, Michaela and Donal. Donal, and uh, some questions in here. Um, But today I want to go over. I kind of went back and forth on this, so I want to. T- I want to go. I have a blog post I've written about two weeks ago that I haven't. Pu- I haven't put on the site yet, and uh, you know, if you've followed our blog posts, a lot of them might just turn into uh, podcasts as well. So it's a perfect opportunity to do that. And so today, I want to talk about stress recovery um, slash super compensation. Uh, ideas so uh, I've got a lot of links in the blog post that you will want to check out uh, when I get this posted probably in a couple days but uh, so I want to start with that and I see we do have some questions in here which I will I will uh, get to and um, I was looking through some of them some of them I already have some pretty in-depth blog posts but I'll direct you where to where to go as time comes so uh, with that let's uh, let's get rolling it's 12 o'clock and uh, we'll get this we'll get this, th- this thing going, and then uh, I'll get to the questions. So, all right. So, uh, so starting off, you know, one of the questions I get a lot of is in regards to spacing out workout days, SOS days, and when you really should do it. And and um, a lot of times people come to me as as if they're masters runners, and they feel like they're not recovering as much or as well as they used to. Um, and, you know, is that, is that necessarily true though? And, and I've often wondered about this myself we actually wrote a blog post a little while ago about training past your prime and when that prime really is. Cause I think we, I think a lot of times we use age is, it's not a crutch, but we use it. We're so used to just saying, well, we, we're going to slow down as we age, which is, which is certainly true, but I can tell you, I, I did my master's thesis on, um, and you know, Heart Especially specifically heart rate and how much it declined with age, and what we found was with when you're fit and you've been fit for a long period of time in your life, you know, general and relative to you know not you know sedentary your sedentary counterparts of the same age, your actual abilities decline much much less than than what we originally told people. You know, so like two twenty minus your age is basically accounting for. Uh, it, uh, did a heartbeat per year drop after the age of, you know, whatever, you know, essentially past the age of 20. Right. So, uh, but what we found was it was significantly less. I mean, I think when we looked at, I can't, I'm just recalling, you know, from 20 years ago when I wrote this thing, but uh, you know, it was, it was like 0. 0.6 beats per minute over, you know, after the age of like 35. So it was significantly less than what, you know, 220 minus your age is. And personally, that's one of the reasons why I gravitated away from uh, doing, you know, focusing so much on heart rate, because I felt like, you know, your fitness is going to be more of a determinant than what your actual age and your heart rate is. And there's so many variances between it, But regardless, uh, you know, the, the, a lot of times people are masters, masters runners coming to me. But sometimes, it's you know, it's business people as well or people who, you know, are, are moms, stay at home moms or work, staying with their kids. It's just hard for them to get everything in. But I want to focus on the age because a lot of people are using the age as the, a as the thing. But I have a link to an article from Alex Hutchinson, which who, who wrote Endure. Um, he's written a few other things, too, but Endure is his, his newest book, which is which is really good. I actually really recommend that was um, mostly on the brain and fatigue and things like that. But it's really, it's a really, it's a good read. It's not a hard read. Um, very interesting stories in there, but uh, um, but I have a link to this article, but it basically, you know, he's he's asking the same questions. Like if I'm aging, I feel like I'm recovering tough, harder than I used to. So like, you know, he just turned 40s He's in his early forties and he's like comparing himself to when he was 25 and it feels just so much harder. Um, and then there was some studies in there, but physiologically, there really wasn't any statistical significance between a 25 year old, you know, 40 to 45 year old. But as a person who, you know, I have a child, I have a business, I have, you know, all these things going on. I, I, you know, I feel your pain. Like it's just tougher now than when it was when you're younger and you have less responsibilities and your day isn't filled with other things and recovery is just harder to come by. Um, So I, I think there's, there's, things to that but even though physiologically there might not be any difference this is one of those times where i think where yes yeah, science says one thing but we can all relate to what the real world is actually telling us and how our bodies react so um so i would check that article out i have it linked in the in the blog so it'll be in there and i actually have another post written and it kind of covers this stuff on a general basis but um I really want to kind of pick up, you know, I think I think I missed a step in there. So I wanted to come back and really talk about the um, the stress recovery principle and where it all stems from. And then understanding that and what goes into what actually helps you recover, you know, I think, you know, because people want to automatically just move days around and, you know, it can take you a step further and, you know, somebody will, somebody will be more willing to buy, you know, a $1,500 set of Norma Tech boots or they'll be willing to drop, for three sessions of cryotherapy, but they won't stay hydrated throughout the day, or they won't get more than six hours of sleep a day, or they will sit in their bed with their iPad screen on for two hours before they go to bed. And those things are way cheaper to fix and more effective to help you recover than spending these hundreds of thousands of dollars on these other things. So, uh, you know, whether it's just, you know, convenience or the idea of Thinking that something just buying something is automatically gonna make it work. You know, I don't know and I'm you know I've definitely fallen victim to that too Uh, but so I want to talk about Some things here first and you know really where you're gonna get the most bang for your buck So, you know, so so the stress recovery principle, you know, there's a lot of ways to describe it Um, You know some runners will often refer to it as the hard easy principle so for every hard day you have you have an easy day following you never do two hard days in a row you know so it's go hard easy hard easy hard easy whereas you know and a lot of programs are set up that way ours are to an extent as well especially the classic programs um, so you might have heard of this hard easy principle some a lot of you have probably heard of it as the super compensation principle so um your body reacts to the decline uh or the stress put on it by a workout and then super compensates by over adapting to that and that's where our training adaptation is coming from but you know, know, regardless of title, the the premise is the same. Your body uh, likes to be in balance or homeostasis. And then when you exercise above what you're used to doing, you break that balance. So when we exercise at a harder intensity, and this could be longer duration or a combination of duration and intensity, it causes the body to be fatigued. So the body is really good at adapting to a stressful situation. So it will begin to adapt and prepare itself for the next time it is, is exposed to that stress. So basically what your body's saying is, wow, that sucked. I don't want to go through that again. So it makes these adaptations in order to be better prepared for that situation next time. And so that you get enough, then you get another issues where um, I don't think we'll really talk about today, but essentially where, you know, over time, the stimulus you need to adapt is going to be more and more and more. And that's where I, you know, some people try to tend to stale out because they'll, they'll throw their bodies all this stress and then they don't really have any room to grow. Beyond that, but uh, um, but so anyway, the body is really good at adapting to a stressful situation, and how it adapts through that is through the actual recovery. So the the workout puts your body into the into the deficit, and then how well you recover from that will really dictate how well you adapt to that training. And that's where we t- that's where we tend to screw it up is we feel like all the adaptations are coming from the hard work, and in reality, the hard work sets in motion. The bodies need to recover, and the recovery is what promotes the adaptation. So, um, so that's why I'm always harping on you: faster isn't always better, right? You just need to you just need to put yourself in a deficit in order to recover from that. And so, going harder is only going to mean that you need to recover better. And if you're already struggling with recovering from doing the paces or the workouts you're supposed to be doing, then you just make it even that much harder for yourself, and you're really kind of counter counterproductive on that. Okay, so now if we cover from that work, we are becoming faster. We're becoming fitter. Our fitness is gradually increasing every time we do one of those workouts, um, and then we become better at that. We can handle those workouts better um, over over time. But if we expose the body to hard work before it's ready, whether too short of recovery time or just not doing the right things between workouts that's when we really make it hard for our bodies to adapt so we, all, we ultimately just keep digging that deficit a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and then this is where a lot of you will be you know talking about how great you feel early on in a segment and then you get to six weeks out from your, your race and you're you're a wreck right and this is essentially what has happened is a lot of times you've dug that hole too deep too early and then by the time you get to the taper you're not, it's not enough time, you know, 10 days, two weeks, three weeks might not even be enough for you to actually recover. So uh, you just have to be really careful with that. So so in short, all the hard work you do, you have to recover for a certain amount. And the, the idea is to be, the, the idea can be sound for the one to two days right after a workout to a full year of training differences. So we look at a model, you know, the same model is good for, you know, one workout. It's good for what a week would look like. It's good for what a whole training segment would look like. And it's also good for what a whole year would look like. So, um, but for now, the hard work has to be followed by recover, recovery of some form and duration. All right. So um, I have a chart on here what, what it looks like in the blog, but basically, you know, you have your baseline fitness and ideally you do a workout, you dip below that baseline, but then your body reacts and then you're, you're more fit. And then over time, but the, the thing with that is if you don't do a workout soon enough, then it, it's it's too much and you actually creep back down to the baseline. So I should probably just read, read what I have written and that'll explain it. So uh, so to close out our description, discussion on this principle, um, I have a figure in the blog, take a look at it. But while doing hard workouts too close to each other exposes the body to stress too often, the opposite can be just as bad. So if we only do a workout every four to five days, then we don't expose the body to stress often enough, and basically we creep back down to that baseline. And this will mean long training segments to make marginal fitness gains in fitness. So if we only do one workout every four or five days, then it's gonna then, then you are gonna need like a 20 week segment. You're gonna need a 24 week segment. But if we can balance that out, we can shorten those segments segments up. But um, I it mean, it'll just take a long time to see really any true gain in fitness. Um, and it's a delicate balance when it means that you or me as your coach or whoever you have as a coach should learn over time what that balance looks like for you, because how you recover is going to probably vary on what you do, you know, and we'll talk about that in a second. So, um, so what we just discussed is, was the two most basic of situations. So the question becomes, how does, how does our training look over weeks and months? And luckily the model that I have in here, you can see That can really represent what a week and and a month, and you know what I what I had mentioned before, what everything looks like. It really can be extrapolated out from a day to what a year would look like. Um, But I have five five most common scenarios where um, runners' training typically goes, and this can represent a week or two or an entire entire segment. So um, the factors in in recovery are are, are, there's a lot of there's a lot of factors. We'll talk about those right now. But in in general. A single bout of hard work can take anywhere from 24 to 72 hours to recover from so that's a that's a pretty big range right that's one to three days recovery from a workout and as i mentioned that's probably going to be different for different workouts so you might recover from a long run and feel ready to go the next day depending on how hard you ran that long run whereas you might do a speed workout and you're wrecked, right? So you don't have any, you know, you, you might be out of commission for uh, a few days, you know, so it really depends. So knowing yourself is a huge, huge factor. And so um, I'm re- by knowing yourself, knowing how long it takes to recover from something and what is gonna take a long time, what's gonna recover from quickly. And some of you recover quickly from speed, others seem to be pretty beat up after a few days. And so you get that a lot right now. So all you speedsters or people who are running your first, second marathon, Seeing how much you struggle with temple runs, it kind of makes sense because you're so used to running shorter, shorter races like 5Ks and 10Ks, maybe that you bounce back from those those things pretty quick. But the long temple run is really something pretty foreign to you, and it just takes a long time to recover from. So it makes it it makes it important to note those things, and then you can really determine how far you can space those things out. So, um, in short, some workouts may only take a, a day or two. Others might take two to three days. But in reality, I try to not have anybody go longer than three days after anything that they do, regardless of how well they recover from it. Because after the three days, then you really start kind of creeping back to that original baseline of fitness. And it might not be much, but if you do it often enough, you're gonna stunt your, you know, kind of stunt your growth on, on the fitness adaptation. So um, so one thing I would do is do the self-assessments I have. It's I have it linked in the blog post, but it's basically, basically a series of test questions that you can ask about yourself. And this is really going to give you an idea of where your strengths lie as a runner. And, it, and if you, if you can look at it, right, you'll know, you'll kind of know, well, ideally you'll know just from experience, but this also kind of guide you as um, knowing, okay, I'm going to be better suited for these types of workouts. I'm going to recover pretty quick, you know, or, you know, my, I'm not going to recover very quick from these. So if I do space things out, here's where I should space them out at, you know, and, and you can kind of tailor it to yourself. Okay. The second thing is where you are at in a schedule. If you are early in a schedule and fitness is not there, then a workout might take more out of you than say if it were four weeks later. So one of the reasons why I only get 400s in the, like the first workout of the, the segment is because I know that's that's a fairly easy workout to recover from for most people because most of you will say, wow, 400s are pretty easy. I could have run these all day, or I could have hit this pace. You know, I could have run faster. And that's that's one thing. But if I gave you the same pace for Ks, all of a sudden we change the dynamics of that workout. right? It's, it's a significantly harder workout. So part of it's building you up into it. But knowing that if you've taken two weeks off from a marathon and you ran for two weeks, easy after that, and then you start workouts, we know that, that taking a month off of not doing workouts it's gonna feel pretty tough when you come back, right? So we have to we have to take it easy. But you, on the other hand, as the runner, need to need to know and understand the purpose of that workout. So you know that's not a workout to to crush, you know the first workout back. And if it feels rough, you know kind of know that it's gonna gonna feel rough, right? So early segment workouts rarely feel, Really, that great, especially if you've taken some time off between races. You really kind of you're kind of starting back to where you were, you know, a few months ago. But you're still higher than what your original baseline level was, you know, your last segment, right? You're still in better fitness, but it's been so long ago that you probably don't even really remember how much slower you were at that other segment, right? And then, of course, right now we're, you know, July 10th, the recording of this. You know, if you're in a, you know, starting a marathon segment you know, even like two, three weeks ago, you know, all of a sudden went from running in spring weather to summer weather. And it's a big difference. So knowing, knowing what you're talking about. So uh, again, a blog post I have on this is five early pitfalls, which I have linked uh, in the blog post. So um, ideally what I'm saying here is early season, don't rush the issue, right? Just let your fitness kind of occur naturally. Personally, I don't care, like, especially like marathon tempos, things like that, marathon pace work. So a lot of times early on, that's why I have the marathon intervals where it's like four by a mile or two by two miles or something like that with a short rest in between because I know that's gonna feel awful. That marathon, especially if it's a new marathon pace for you, it's gonna feel like crap, right? And you're gonna question yourself if I'm gonna be able to hit that. Well, it's you're, you're two weeks into a training segment and you have 16 weeks to go or whatever the case is, that's a long time. Let yourself build into the fitness don't worry if, you, if you're not hitting the pace now. If you're like a minute off, that's, that's a totally different issue. But if you're 15, 20 seconds off, but that's still faster, say that's even faster than what your old marathon pace was, and you, you, you've, you're going after a big goal, it's gonna feel like crap. Don't force the issue. Don't, don't make it harder on yourself than it needs to be. If it, you, where you need to feel fit is two to eight, two to eight weeks out from the marathon segment. If you're already feeling fit and you have 12 weeks to go, you're probably gonna be in trouble because that means you're gonna be get a month out and you're gonna be cooked, right? Because you've already gotten to peak fitness way too early. So you 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 don't have to be in peak fitness for the entire segment. It's a building process and let it build. Don't force the issue. You're gonna be much better off. Going into what I was talking about too, the third thing is weather and acclimation. Big difference and I've seen this so much right now. People are just like, they're beside themselves because they're not hitting paces And then I look at their log and they're really like five to 10 seconds a mile off. And it's, you know, 80 degrees when they're doing their workout, it's going to be tough. You know, you're, especially like, you know, I always talk about, you know, I always get flack from people who are in Southern climates. like, well, we train in this all year. It's not a big deal. I'm I'm used to it. Well, yeah, you're going to be used to it because it's, it's like a person who lives at altitude versus somebody who's coming up from Detroit to, you know, Boulder, you know, there's going to be a huge difference there. But for most people, you know, you're looking at a situation where you you really go through a lot of different temperatures all year. Like, you know, this was one of the coldest winters we've had. And then we seemingly went straight to summer. We didn't even get a spring. So usually we use that spring to adapt a little bit to the different weather uh, temps and stuff. And it really basically went from 50 to 85 overnight. And and you're like, boom, that's a big shock to the system. So, you, you know, it's I don't know if people think it's a sign of weakness or what but you really i mean it's a big shock to the system and you, you've got to kind of treat it as such now now if you're really trained and you're getting to august and september and you're getting these warm days and you find yourself really falling behind still then you might have been a little too aggressive but adjusting early on is going to take a big big part of that so use use the calc use the calculator if you have to how I'd use the calculator is, you know, if you're if you're a person who's used to fairly warm weather, but then all of a sudden you got a fairly hot day, you know, you're going to be, you're still going to probably be able to get closer to your original paces. Whereas you take somebody who is like used to 50 degree weather and all of a sudden they get a 75 degree day, you know, that's going to be a bigger adjustment for that person. And then over time, you know, ideally over summer, everybody's kind of creeping down closer to their original paces. And that should really be your goal is... In four to six weeks, am I, am I creeping closer to my my goal paces? If that's true, then then you're definitely getting fit. But if you find yourself falling further and further back, then you probably overdid it. Maybe you need to adjust your paces and things like that. So big thing is the, like, you know, you definitely have to take those things into account. And if you don't, especially early on, you might find yourself in trouble. Cause really what you do is you, you all you're doing is think about that deficit that we keep talking about. Every time you over, you overextend yourself, you're going to be digging that deficit a little bit deeper. You're digging that hole just a little bit deeper, which means either you have to take more steps in recovery or you're going to have to space workouts out a little bit more. Okay. Post-workout nutrition, big one. Um, I have to say this is probably, and this is, you know, this is probably something I struggled with quite a bit too, but um, so let me run through this real quick. So for easy days, I'm not a big stickler on it for a strict strict protocol, right? So easy days, you know, the whole idea of the easy day is part of it is you know recovery itself. You're using that easy day as a form of the recovery. Um, but if you're doing something over 90 minutes uh, and it's say marathon pace or faster, then you have to start paying a lot closer attention to your recovery nutrition. But anything like if you're just going for a six mile easy run, even eight mile easy run, anything under 90 minutes at an easy pace. You're probably going to be okay. Your hydration is going to play a part, but um, you know most of your runs. I don't see most most people here listening to this. You know, an hour easy run is pretty much where most of you are at. Some of you creep a little bit over, but so you don't have to worry about too much. Big thing is the workout. So hydration, primary goal is to avoid excessive weight loss. Done. Excessive to me is anything more than two percent of your body weight. So if you weigh 100 pounds, anything over anything over two pounds. You need to be really serious about your your um, hydration. Um, after an SOS day, your aim should be to replace 150% of what you lost. So, if you weigh 100 pounds, you lost two two pounds, then your goal is should be to replace three pounds of fluid because you're going to you're going to need that in aiding recovery. Um, my example here is if you lost three pounds of body weight, then your aim is to four and a half, basically four and a half pounds of of fluid, which seems like a lot. But if you're on it right away, then that's something that uh, you do throughout the day. Now, carbohydrate, one point, I, this is post-workout again, 1.2 grams per kilogram of body weight. So that one kilogram is 2.2 pounds. So you wanna replace that as soon as possible. Um, I think for most people that's going to be 50 to 75 grams of, um, carbohydrate, maybe a little bit more, maybe closer to hundred for, for some repeat every hour for the next three hours. So as soon as you get done with that workout, boom, you're hitting, you're hitting the protein and the carbohydrate. We'll talk about the protein in a second, but you're hitting the carbohydrate because what you've done with the workout is you depleted your carbohydrate store. So your body will store more carbohydrates, but it actually needs the carbohydrates to do it, right? So you've taken yourself to the deficit. Now you give your body the tools it needs to fill that deficit back in. And part of that is the carbohydrates. So people always on me about the, carbo- the low carbohydrates nonsense. There's a time and a place and everything, but if you go to extremes on anything, you're gonna, you're gonna end up hurting yourself. And especially if you do it for long periods of time, that's another, another discussion, but I always have to, I have to address that, I always have to address that. Ah, uh, replenishment is key because carbohydrate is taken first into the liver. So you have to think about what the what's happening with the body. So you gone, let's say you went for a long run, you went for a 16-mile long run, pretty, you depleted yourself pretty pretty well. You're pretty much into the well. You've depleted muscle glycogen, but also what's happened is your liver glycogen's gone down and your liver glycogen is, is huge. Your liver glucose is huge, right? Because that's what's feeding your brain and your central nervous system. And believe it or not, your body is very good at wanting to stay alive, right? So the first thing it's gonna do is it's gonna keep your brain and your central nervous system firing on all cylinders. So what's gonna happen is the carbohydrate you take in right away is gonna first go to the liver, not the muscle. So the faster you get the liver glycogen replaced, the faster it's going to go into the muscle glycogen. And the faster you're going into the muscle glycogen, the faster you're depleting the stores, the faster you're starting the recovery process. So it all is timing. Um, so one note here, if you do a hard workout or you only take in modest amounts of carbohydrate, or a lot of you are in a situation where you're both, you're doing a hard workout and then don't eat very much, then carbohydrate can take over 24 hours or more before it's actually replenished. So if you're gonna do a workout, let's see the Tuesday to Thursday examples are very good, very good example. So you did a hard work, say you did a hard speed workout on Tuesday, you had Wednesday off, but since you didn't replace the carbohydrate, because you're you're taking, you know, whatever, a lot of you just don't eat enough carbohydrate to begin with, but you don't replace what you burnt, then you go into Thursday's workout. And you don't have the glycogen to get you through that workout. And it's amplified right now in the summer because even if you're running the same pace, the actual intensity is higher. And if the intensity is higher, that means you're burning through more, more glycogen faster. So in three days, you've really dug a hole that's going to take quite a bit of time to get out of. And so that's why a lot of you are struggling with your tempo runs or you get through your tempo runs and then you struggle with your long runs. And then a lot of it's because of that. You just haven't replaced what, you, what you've burned. So third is protein ingestion. There, so short term, what protein taking in protein, especially right away, will do at right after a workout, it stops the continuation of muscle tissue breakdown. Um, so and it starts the process of protein synthesis or building new protein from amino acids. Uh, that's why branched chain amino acids are thought of as being very important. Although studies, you know, kind of wishy washy on it. But the point is, you stop the breakdown of the muscle tissue, which is key, right? Because a lot of our problems are. We lose muscle mass through training and that's the last thing we want to do we don't want to lose muscle mass we want to maintain muscle mass Um, so the the immediate effect is you stop the muscle damage from a tough workout long-term benefit is that the muscle preservation from workout to workout so immediately taking protein after workout isn't necessarily going to do much for you that day but continually doing that workout after workout after workout allows your body to maintain and even grow muscle mass, which is what we're looking for. Because if people are looking to lose weight, they're not looking to lose muscle mass, right? They're looking to lose fat weight. And so what happens with training is if we're not replacing the protein, especially at the right time, not only do we lose fat, but a lot of times we end up just losing water weight and muscle weight. And those are, you know, especially the muscle weight is what we don't wanna lose. We wanna maintain that. That's what's gonna allow us to perform better Being strong, having muscle mass is actually what's going to keep us healthy. It's going to allow us to train harder, do more workouts, have have better segments, and then get to race day ready to rock and roll. All right. So by not taking protein post-workout days, you run the risk of gradually losing muscle mass over time. It's going to leave you susceptible to injury and poor performance. Uh, 20 to 40 grams of high-quality whey protein. what I take, most of you know that I take Isogenics. I do what they have at Isoline Pro, which is actually protein, uh, 36 grams of protein, undenatured whey protein, a uh, little bit of fat, a little bit of, of carbohydrate. It's so essentially a meal replacement, but I take that right away because I know I'm not gonna get a meal for a little bit because I'm usually at the park or whatever, and then I have to come back in, shower, and go to work, which I think a lot of you are in similar situations. You're waking up early in the morning, doing your workout and then all of a sudden you got to go to work and i think a lot of times that post post recovery gets missed and then also like an actual breakfast gets missed so you can do something like that and at least stop the muscle damage and then it buys you some time like 2 or 3 hours to where you can get another meal in so that's that's huge especially if you're if you're kind of bouncing around doing things that's key um then the daily the daily hydration nutrition so what we talked about was mainly just Right after workouts, um, one of the biggest things I see, with even with recreational athletes, is they're just not eating enough calories. They need to match the work they're doing. Um, you know, an easy, you know, basically what this comes down to is if you're running a long run, yeah, that day you're going to need a lot of calories. But I see people either eat a lot of calories all the time, or they just don't eat ever, and they lose muscle mass over time because they're just not providing their body with the nutrients and the, and the macronutrients that they need. Um, so basically all you have to keep in mind is that, you know, if you take an easy day, yeah, you don't need to eat as much, you know, keep track of your calories, use MyFitnessPal. If you're using final surge, you can sync them up. You can look, you can match what you're doing. Use our calculator on final surge. It'll actually show you, um, what you need for the day. So, you know, showing you like if I ran six mile easy run, I'm going to need significantly less than if I ran a 16 mile long or did a 10 mile tempo, whatever the case is, those days you're going to need you know, probably 1,000, calories more than on an easy day. So if you overeat all the time, and that's how I think people tend to put weight on during a marathon segment is they, they usually overeat every day or they match their calorie content on the workout days, but then way overeat on their easy days. Or they don't drink enough fluids because a lot of times uh, hunger, thirst is confused for hunger, right? So we're, we're our body's actually thirsty, but we confuse it for hunger. So we eat all the time, right? So that goes into the hydration aspect too if you, if you keep and keep track of what you're drinking like especially in the summer right now you should be looking at i aim for a minimum of two liters which is really only 64 about 64 to 66 ounces of fluids three liters puts you at about 100 ounces of fluids. And i think most of us should be trained three plus sometimes you know even more now does it have to be just water no you know i don't you know drinking water is boring right so Get something with a little bit of electrolytes. If you're having problem going doing the, uh, doing the uh, getting enough carbohydrates in, do you know like I use Isogenics uh, um, Hydrate, which is you know it's not a ton, it's not like drinking a you know a sugar cube, but it's a little bit of quality carbohydrate that I can put into a drink that's also giving me electrolytes, and uh, and some B vitamins and stuff, which is going to help me absorb that carbohydrate better. Um, so that's 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 key, right? So keep track of what you're doing. Like in our office, we actually have a lot of, we have a lot of the water bottles because we're always doing stuff with with classes and stuff. So we always tend to have a lot of bottles. So I always try to aim for, you know, when I'm in the office, two or three of those, which is a half a liter. And then, you know, a couple more throughout the day, but, you know, it's tough. And, and, you know, the first thing, you know, this is actually a tip I've heard from Med where when he was in college, because he already, you know, he was, I got to avoid the freshman 15 or whatever. And so he would just drink, a glass of water before his meal, and then have his meal, and that actually helped him put in. You know, he wasn't overeating on his on his dinner, per se, but he was. And but he was also ensuring that he's getting enough hydration. And so, really, really have to be careful. But I don't, you know, people don't recognize how much that plays a role in your recovery. And it's not, it's not a single thing, right? It's not like one day is going to derail you but it's when we constantly are doing it or we're doing it two or three times a week and we're not, we're not making it up. And over a month, over two months, that really just, you just kind of gradually take it down a notch. You just that little, that deficit hole just keeps getting a little deeper, you never quite get out of it. And then it makes, you know, makes your harder workouts, right? So this goes back to what we're talking about early segment. This makes sure, uh, if you're doing that in your easy part, by the time you get to the hard workouts, the eight, 10 mile tempos, the 16 mile long runs, the big strength workouts, you've already dug that hole so deep that you're just never gonna get out of it. And so you just set really kind of set yourself up to, to be in a tough situation. All right, now the big one, actually actually two more big ones, no lie. Sleep, number one on the list of cheapest but most effective way to get the most recovery. And the vast majority don't sleep, and they don't get enough sleep. And and really, I understand it's not even quantity of sleep. It's more quality sleep. Um, And I know people are going to email me, and they'll be like, well, I got all these things going on. I got 14 kids and all this and that. You have to make it a priority. You have to make quality sleep a priority. Even if you can only get six hours of sleep a night, You make it the most quality that you possibly can. So here's what you gotta do. You gotta focus on a quiet environment, maintain room temperature. So 18 degrees Celsius, 65 degrees Fahrenheit. I know it's pretty chilly. I don't know if I could sleep in 65 degrees, but that's probably as cold as you'd want to go. But cold, cold weather sleeping has been proven time and time again to help you recover. Proper bedding that won't affect your comfort. Develop a sleep routine, get in a routine. If you got your kids in a routine, you should be in a routine too. Avoid caffeine, you know, right before bed. Avoid electronic screens. Um, we're all guilty of this. I am guilty of this. But you know, don't be reading your iPad. Don't you know? And that, and the problem is too. A lot of you read at night, but you're reading off your your, eye, your your phone screen or your Kindle or whatever the case is, and you're putting that light right in your eyes, and it just affects your it affects your sleep. So um, be careful with that. Read an actual book. Get a get a paper book. Get a hardcover book. Um, I prefer those anyway. I actually don't like reading electronic screens anymore. Um, That's just because I'm getting old. My eyes are getting bad. But uh, no mid-afternoon naps, which I know most of you are laughing like, I haven't had a nap in 15 years. But if you have an opportunity, take your naps earlier in the day. Try to get at least seven hours of sleep, quality sleep. Ensure a dark room. Dark room is key. Um, So you want to maximize your time in REM sleep which is a sleep where you are dreaming. This is a sleep that releases the growth hormone and that growth hormone is fueling recovery. So what, you know, people are injecting themselves with growth hormone, you can get it for free if you can get a good night's sleep. For guys, this is all prime time for, also prime time for increasing your testosterone. So one trick I have learned over over my years as a professional athlete is guys take a magnesium supplement, not only magnesium, uh, uh, puts you to sleep. It puts you in a deeper sleep quicker. So the women actually, you, sh- you can take magnesium too. But it's not going to. You're not going to. You're not going to be shooting yourself up with steroids if you're asking. But for guys, magnesium will not only put you into sleep, but magnesium is also a part of testosterone. So if you're supplying that part to your body, you can actually build testosterone and get a good night's sleep too. So I've actually, you know, I, I you know, part of. I was actually when after my wife and I had our first child, we were trying for a second kid. And between her, she had some issues, and I had low testosterone, which is basically just from 15 years of, of hard training, right? So, um, but I didn't want to get a TUE for performance. You know, that's essentially why Ryan Hall retired, because he was in the same situation. He's like, I don't want to get a TUE. I don't believe in it. I don't think I should have it to compete. And I kind of felt the same way. And so I was like, well, how can I do this, you know, naturally, and, and that was one of the things I found, was just taking a magnesium supplement. Most guys are deficient in magnesium. And it's a building block for protein, but it also helps put you into sleep. So um, so just keep that in mind, just a, a thing to think about. And then if you nap, either keep it to under 20 minutes or go long at 90-plus minutes because it's 90-plus minutes, you're actually going to be getting into the, um, the REM sleep. At 20 minutes, you're just kind of doing a power nap, but it actually can uh, keep you alert, things like that. Um, anything in between really just kind of makes you groggy, and it doesn't do anything for uh, hormone release, which is why you want... If you're going to go for a long nap, uh, then uh, you want to make sure it's over 90 minutes, and then you'll actually release the hormones. Uh, and I have an infographic link here to actually give you a, a little visualization of what we just talked about. All right, and the last big thing I have here, and then I'll wrap it up here. So sleep, if sleep was a number one list on the list of cost effective, cost effectiveness, then proper pace is is number one, a You really, really have to adhere to that. And I understand. I understand the whole idea of like, well, I want to push myself. However, most of you are already pushing yourself with what you're asking your body to do. So there's no need to go above and beyond. And from a from a mentality standpoint some of you if you if you train if you race how you train then you're really setting yourself up for failure because if you just push 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 on all your workouts what's going to happen when you get in a race you're going to push 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 because that's what you're used to doing every day in training and i don't want that especially for the marathon i want you to be patient 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 and then have enough in the tank to push later on and so that's why i really harp another reason why i harp on Paces all the time because I, most of you don't have that patience. Because a lot of times, and I understand, I'm, I'm when I I'm not picking on you because I've done a lot of the same things, especially earlier in my career. Um, but uh, you really want to you really want to learn that patience and learn how marathon especially how marathon pace feels. And then once you get into a race where um, you know it feels easy, well, it should feel easy the first 10k, right? If you're already pushing the red line 10k into a marathon. Um, you still have 20 miles to go guys. That's gonna not gonna really end well. So really really want to learn that patient I really want you to learn that patience. All right Okay, the biggest problem I see is easier runs. let's say you run a hard tempo on, on Thursday, you'll be pretty depleted So you do well with your recovery, but not perfect and then you feel pretty okay on Friday and You end up running your easy day say 30 seconds per mile too fast Or you just had to stay at the fast end of your given range So a lot of you guys look at that range on on final surge and stuff you're like well if it says nine minute nine minutes to 10 30 pace i'm going to be nine minute pace um, you really don't have to be you could be 9 30 10 minute pace but uh, a lot of times you just want to keep pushing that because you, i don't know if it's because you feel like you're not getting a, the same amount of of adaptation and actually you might actually be getting more if you slow down a little bit but in any case then saturday say a 10 miler um which isn't an easy run but it's not a workout so like kind of a tweenie a 20 year run. So you, again, you're not quite back to your baseline. Then you get to the 16 mile on Sunday and you push, put yourselves ourselves worse off than we were Thursday after the tempo run because we've just kind of completed that run. So you can see that one day is not make or break, but if you continually push too hard, then you're going to set yourself up for long-term, be in a position where you're just not able to recover that. So then you can take that even further and say, well, I can do that Sunday long run and then a lot of you're pretty good on recovering on the Sunday long runs. And then, but then you got you only have Monday, and then you're back to speed or strength on Tuesday. So everything, everything you do. So every time you push too hard, you have to let you have to look at how's this gonna affect the next day? How's this gonna affect affect the next SLS? And that's what you have to take into account. Um, so these are basic the, the six basic factors for me. Um, we can go into other factors, but uh, if you can't acknowledge and master these, then it doesn't make any sense to talk about massage, Norma Tech boots, cryotherapy, this and that, acupuncture, whatever, cupping, whatever you want to talk about. It doesn't make sense to talk about those if we can't do this stuff well. This stuff is cheap, rel- especially relative to what you would be willing to pay for other stuff that is going to give you marginal gains compared to what this will give you for the price. Um, so... Really, really focus on on that. So, um, and in the blog, I have a two-week block. I have thirteen, week thirteen and fourteen of the classic advanced schedule. Uh, beginner is slightly less mileage, but the same setup, right? So you basically have Monday easy, Tuesday strength off, Wednesday tempo, Thursday Friday, Saturday Sunday, long run, and then uh, there you go. So. What I want you to look at, I want you to go in and look at this chart. Really, kind of where your focus should be. Um, so, like for Tuesday strength, your focus should be SOS nutrition, recovery nutrition, sleep, and eat to drink to the day. Boom. Then Wednesday you've off. Just make sure you recovered, doing whatever you have to do. Maybe you gotta, maybe you can take a nap that day, or you can sleep in a little bit because you don't have to get up at 4:30 to run. Maybe you can make that happen. Then again, just you know the little things, but but you can see by looking at that, your primary things are eating and, eating and drinking to the day's needs and focus on your post-race nutrition and hydration, and then get to sleep where you can and make sure the sleep is quality. If you can do those things, I think a lot of times you will set yourself up to where you don't necessarily need big recovery times. You don't need to take three days between uh, workouts. But if you do all those things and you still find yourself in trouble, then we can actually go in and talk about what you need to do. We've talked about that in other things, but I think understanding the stress response recovery, the the whole cycle and what is a factor into it is going to allow you to make better choices for the day. And I'm not saying you're making bad choices. I'm saying, you know, but it's easy to get out of the habit. And I think, you know, part of as a coach, I want you to just say, look beyond just what you're doing for the running part. You know, that's why they really say running is a lifestyle because it's not just going out and working out. It's then how you handle the pre and the post of that too. So it really is something you have to think about a little bit throughout the day. So in any case, I hope you find that helpful and just look at, look at what I have linked in there. Look at some of the, the, the infographs and stuff like that. And you should be pretty good. So, all right, I will uh, go into a couple questions real quick. Uh, so Caesar is asking, basically saying, if I lose thirty to forty seconds over, due to congested streets, um, and it looks like you're running, you're running New York City in November. Well, the thing with New York, I mean, you're going to lose thirty to seconds in the first mile just because you're going uphill over a bridge but then you're going to get 20 to 30 seconds back because you go down the other side of the bridge. And I get it's congested, but it's also like eight lanes of road. So you have more room than you think. But say you lose some lose some time. Okay, so you lose 40 seconds over the first basically 10K. That still gives you 20 miles to make up 40 seconds, which is, you know, what, three, three to four seconds a mile if you're losing 30 to 40 seconds. That's not even that. So if you lose... Math is not my. So if you lost, say you lost 40 seconds divided by 20 miles, you have you have to make up two seconds a mile the rest of the way. That's well within the standard deviation of just your normal pacing, right? So I don't think you really have to put any specific effort into it. I think you just have to run, let it work out how it is, try to take the tangents as much as you possibly can. And then I think you're just natural pacing will, because we'll, especially in New York, I mean, you're going to have, you come off the bridge at 25K on the first Avenue, you're probably going to be 20 seconds fast right there